You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's going on, everybody? I hope it is splendid wherever you are. Hopefully you're not still stuck in the polar vortex, because that sounded awful. My fragile Oregonian bones couldn't begin to deal with that level of cold, I don't think. I'm not sure, though. We do get pretty cold around here, I guess. I don't, know, I don't think we got any negative 40 or whatever nonsense that's going on there, though. But what we do have, we do have is Gun Street Wiring Shop. Oh, I know. See, I kind of like, I jigged there. Thought I was going to, thought I was going to zag and I zigged. Or jigged, what did I say? I don't know. But what I, what I do know is Gun Street Wiring Shop is awesome. And they are making awesome stuff out of Bend, Oregon. They can make the custom wiring harness of your dreams. If you've ever dreamed of squeezing a little bit of more functionality out of your current guitars, they are the one to hit up. They may be able to offer you some options you never really thought possible, but, you know, if you just have some scratchy pots or you got something a little jankety going on, now's the time to upgrade. They can fix you up. If you go to GunStreetWiringShop.com, they can fix all of that for you and maybe unlock some new sounds in the process. We also need to talk about Sinusoid, oh yes, long-time sponsor Sinusoid, and they are doing just as amazing as ever. If you go to their site, you can see the standard options, the things that are most popular, most sought after, so to speak, but maybe you need something else, or maybe you just crave something else. You can build it in their custom cable builder, you can make exactly what you want out of the cable material that you want, with or without Tex, I can never say that word right, Techflex. TechFlex, TechFlex, TechFlex. Anyway, yes, with or without that stuff, and you also get their fabled 100-year warranty. So if anything goes bad in the next 100 years, Sinusoid will be there to back up their work to make everything painless and awesome and easy. So go to sinusoid.com and check them out. And one last thing before we get right into the episode and I want to remind you about ToneMob.com slash Reverb. That's a link that you go to. If you go to ToneMob.com slash Reverb, you can do all your normal Reverb.com shopping. So you're buying pedals, you're selling pedals, you're doing whatever kind of transactions you normally do on Reverb. And a little bit of that uh, that sale goes back to help support the show and keep things running around here. It doesn't cost you anything extra, no weird things like that. All you got to do is do your Reverb shopping through ToneMob.com slash Reverb, and if you're a vinyl junkie, that also works for Reverb LP, which is their vinyl service that they have. So if you're looking to, you know, pick up some vintage vinyls or some out-of-print stuff or even some fresh stuff, you can you can do that, and that also comes back and helps support. Yeah, there I go again with my words. Support the show and keep everything humming around here, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So if you go ahead and do that, tonemob.com slash Reverb, it would be much appreciated. And finally, I bring you to our intro. Our guest for this episode is a self-described alt-country troubadour named Boo Ray. You guys know how I feel about country music and and uh, how much it means to me and all that stuff, and I think he's really doing some cool stuff. Also, he is a gear nerd and is friends with lots of gear nerds in Nashville. So, you know, check out his album, but Check out this interview first. I think you, you'll like him. He's a he's a great guy to talk to and has a very interesting story and 
some interesting interesting setups that he runs gear wise. So we'll get into all that, and I will stop talking. Well, I'm not gonna you know you know what I mean. Here goes the show with Boo Ray. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the ToneMob.com podcast, the show about guitar tone and the people behind it. I'm your host, Blake Weiland, and with me today, I have Boo Ray. What's happening, man? How did good, man? How about it, Blake? Oh, man. I've I've got good vibes on this one. You know, we've been talking me for too. a little bit, and I feel like this is going to go really well. Sometimes you just have that... Uh, through the internet, you get the the you can still pick up the vibes. Sometimes I feel like this is going to be a good one. Totally, I feel like we got it warmed up with a, you know a couple couple cans and a piece of string pulled tight. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I'm I'm keeping yeah. it as tight as I can, but it's a long ways. It's a long ways that we're having right. to communicate. So, ten four, yeah. So maybe a good place to go would be uh just to start with my classic question, which would be you know. Tell, tell people who you are and uh, what your musical backstory is and how it led you to where you are today. Sure. Um, I'm Boo Ray, uh, and I'm a full-time troubadour. Um, I keep a five-piece uh, band, and we run around and play shows and make, uh, make straight-to-tape, uh, make live-to-tape uh, recordings to be pressed on vinyl, to be listened to on vinyl records. I love it. I love it. I'm a I'm a quite a vinyl junkie myself. Cool. Yeah. Is that yeah, is that kind of your your mo? Like you you try to do everything how they did it back in the day. You know, just all live, all straight yes. to tape. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I've lucked out and fell in with it. I, I've fallen in with a crew uh, of you know uh, of really super high quality cats that are just analog guys. And I followed their, you know how it is, you go down a rabbit hole and you don't know quite what you're getting into when you first start off. And I've followed some good, uh, I've, I've run across some, I've been lucky, run across some great talent and, uh, and I've taken some good advice along the way, you know? That's very cool. I, uh, I wish I had the talent to do that. When the, the one time we recorded an album, I think I did about... I think the tally was 400 million takes uh, on things just because uh, right, right. I'm not that good. But I feel like there's a there's kind of a magic in uh, recording a live band. Is that something that you've kind of experienced? Positively, uh, there's no doubt about it. Uh, and, and I'm sure you you know about the phenomena of you surround yourself with a bunch of heavy duty cats and you literally play beyond your ability. You, you know, it's, it's sort of the, 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 the sum of the parts is greater than the whole, you know? Um, T- totally, totally. Yeah. So where did, where did it all start for you, though? You didn't just kind of wake up and start recording uh, recording the way you do and playing no. the way you do. What, 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 what was no. uh, your, your initial uh, uh, musical experience? Sure, sure. I mean, I, I had a couple cousins when I was a kid that had really cool record collections. My cousin Freddie was a knob vet and he had a, a really cool record collection. That was when I was really young, you know, like, uh, you know, pre 10 years old. 
and he had the first song and record that I latched onto was the Stones. And I don't know how the hell I was shoot, shoot. I was seven years old, maybe. And I latched on to get off my cloud. Okay. Um, and I would pester adults. This was before I was old enough in my dexterity. I couldn't handle and operate the record player. And uh, so I would have to pester the adults to play. And I just wanted to hear one song over and over and over and over. <laughs> and then when, when did you pick up the guitar? I was offered the guitar by a uh, Appalachian uh, folk singer, flat picker, mountain music maker. Uh, I was I was offered guitar lessons, and the first guitar that they put in my lap uh, at like twelve years old was a, a, a I'm sure it was a wonderful Martin, and it had medium gauge strings on it, and and uh, I I um. I put my hands on that neck and felt those strings, and I was like, ooh, that's just way too difficult. That's not for me. Uh, and I didn't really come back to the guitar uh, until I had grown some and my dexterity had improved at about 15 years old. And uh, did you, was it still on that same Martin, or what were you playing at 15? No, at 15, I came across a Strat. Um, ah. I came across a Strat with tans on it, and, that, and, and I had also simultaneously uh, fallen into uh, Dire Straits and, uh, and Steve Ray Vaughan and uh, the Allman Brothers Live at the Fillmore record, sort of all simultaneously, and also the Skinner Give Me Back My Bullets record. That's a, that is quite a magical combination of, of things to spur one down the, the guitar playing path, for sure. Yeah, yeah. As it turns out, in you know, it's a, in I've done most of my most of my uh, learning has come as discovery along the way. You know, uh, happenstance, trial and error. Gotcha. So, did you did you have anybody showing you the ropes, or did you teach yourself? I had a, there was a couple of blues there was a couple of blues cats that I you know I, so I grew up in the mountains of Western North Carolina and and everybody up there is you know at least all the real heavy duty cats are they're all flat pickers you know and mm-hmm. at that age for me I didn't see the damn charm in it you know I was like man that's just a bunch of they, they bunch of grumpy mean old men <laughs> you know and and so I basically kind of ran away from from that part of, of my, uh, youth and roots. And I went, I, I knew a guy, uh, who was a, uh, he was a furniture builder and he's a bluesman and he was way into Billy Gibbons and Carlos Santana and Mesa boogies. And, uh, and I kind of followed and copied him for a few years early on. Interesting. Very yeah, his name is John Warren. He's a super fine picker, uh, and 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 I and I as I saw him age through my teens and twenties, he got into ragtime thumb style picking. And I saw him evolve as a player and get into different stuff. So I found, I sort of, I sort of saw it for my own self, like, well, this there's no telling where this is going to go. <laughs> right, you know, where you start is definitely not necessarily where you end up. That's that's for sure. Or where you yes. think you're going, even might uh, might change. Absolutely, and, and so it really, to tell you the truth, Blake, 
it wasn't until I got out to Los Angeles in like 05 and I got homesick for sweet tea and grits and I started uh, having affection for my for my folky southern roots, you know, for my hillbilly stuff. That And I just started, those songs just started coming out of me. So did you go out so, to Los Angeles with more of a, like, rock and roll thing in mind then? Well, um, I, I don't know what I had in mind. I had just come off of a, a fairly successful record that was kind of a, a kind of a, southern uh southern uh southern hip-hop rock record um, interesting and that and the reason i made that record was just because that's who the band that's who the players that i was working with and around at the time so when i went out to california i had that record under my belt and I, actually i when i really went out to california the first time to to live I went out there to get sober the first time. So uh, that's, that's, that's a whole different story. Um, once I was out there, though, I just, by luck and circumstance, I fell in with the Americana Roots players out there. I met, uh, I lucked into meeting Steve Ferroni early on out there. And um, I, I gave him a copy of that darn rap rock record. <laughs> and like a month later, I ran into him and uh, and he said, hey, boo, by the way, cool record, man. He says, why don't you come hang out at my studio some? Uh, oftentimes at the end of sessions, we track uh, we track with songwriters and singers and, you know, singer songwriters uh, with whatever band is assembled for the session. So just come start hanging out with us. And I did. Nice. Nice. Well, I have a, I have, you may not know this about me cause we haven't talked that much, but I have a very strong, uh, love and appreciation for, uh, you know, Americana and country music and, um, and you know, what, what people have kind of dubbed alt country, which is what, what I, you yourself have a label of alt country, uh, on a sure. lot of the stuff I was reading. I have a very strong opinion on all this, and I wonder how much you you want to talk about it. But uh, I find it very uh, odd yeah. that yeah. that, in my opinion, sure, in order to make real country music, and I feel very pretentious saying that, but in order to make what I consider to be kind of genuine country and Americana music, you have to slap a different label on it other than just country, and I find right. that very very strange. It's weird, right? I mean, yeah. what do you what is it? What do you think of uh, uh, sure. of that? I mean, I'm not sure where I'm going with that question. No, but it's no, I, I dig it. I, I, I maybe I have a useful, productive way to jump jump in with with you. So here's what I here's possibly one thing, one one useful perspective. Um, I don't know about you, but it was a realization for me when I growing up based on the classic country radio station that we got uh, in Western North Carolina and based on the music that my dad listened to and what I thought was quote unquote country music, right? The pillar and foundation of it. So I thought the pillars and foundation of music of country music, which I totally identified with Nashville. It meant Nashville to me, you know, with, 
with with the red, white, and blue stripes and the fireworks and the and the pistol shooting and the price tags hanging off the hats and all that stuff, right? <laughs> right, right, right. And, and so I thought what that encompassed was Willie Nelson, John Cash, Hank Jr., Hank Senior, uh, um, Merle Haggard, uh, George Jones, uh, Waylon Jennings. I thought that was Nashville country music. And then I come to find out, you know, years after I had formed this opinion, uh, come to find out that the actual records and the songs and the singer songwriters that I identified as Nashville country music, these specific records that I was talking about were all the records that they made in rebellion against Nashville. And mm-hmm. basically went to damn Muscle Shoals. Pardon, pardon me. I say I I I, I, I cuss a little bit. I'm I, I'm for the most, I'm ninety five percent FCC safe. Um, but but I consider those records. You know, they all went to Muscle Shoals in Austin to make those records, or they made them in in Nashville with you know freaky producers like Cowboy Jack Clement, who were anti-establishment. So the records that I consider to be quote unquote Nashville foundation country records were all sort of anti Nashville rebellion records that were kind of Texas country. I mean, for lack of a better way to say it, I don't know. Yeah. I, uh, I, I mean, all the, the, all the guys you listed there, all the, those are all what I kind of, um, kind of identify as, as, as being kind of the legit ones myself, you know, and, and, you know, I don't know, I, like I said, I feel very hipster and pretentious in kind of saying that, but it's really hard for me to get down with, with something like, you know, Florida, Georgia line and calling that, uh, calling that Uh, country. It just doesn't uh, make any sense to me. You know, it's well, and here's what I'm saying here. Here's what I'm saying, Blake, is if we go back and look at the playlists and the charts of what was happening when those records that we discussed uh, just a moment ago from Jerry Reed and uh, from Jerry Reed and uh, Eddie Rabbit and Don Williams, you know, and the rest of that crowd, right? Mm-hmm. If, 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 if you and I go look at the stuff that was at the top of the charts at those time, it would reflect an equally different style of music uh, uh, well, no, I don't know, not quite equally, but but it would it would it would reflect <laughs> a different style of music than than what we consider. You know, if you and I are considering "Redheaded Stranger" a foundation sound, and then we go listen to what was topping the charts at the same time as "Redheaded Stranger," we're gonna find that it was some square stuff in comparison. I, you know? I think you're right. That is a that is a really really good. Uh, perspective i think so your your kind of mindset is the stuff that that you and i would really appreciate has always been anti whatever the radio is correct that's a that's a good point yes i think i think so i think so that's a Um, that's a really really interesting point and i never really thought of it that way but that's that is accurate i mean especially with like waylon he he was definitely uh anti everything Nashville, basically, um, and you know he's one of my all-time favorites, Waylon Jennings, right? And, and Willie was and raised, too. Yeah, no, ag- agreed, agreed. And, and what I'm saying is, 
you know, they all took their, so, so Waylon and Waylon and Sturgill raised hell and which I like it. I love, I love a rabble rassle rouser. You know what I mean? Uh, but they're outspoken, you know, Willie, he just wandered off. He's like, yeah, you all can have that stuff, man. I'm gonna go write songs. And he just went and got busy, you know? He didn't have much, too much to say. You know, he just, that was his statement. That is kind of interesting that you you brought up Sturgill. Um, Sturgill is a, is a crazy one in, in, in my experience. So I watched Sturgill Simpson for the first time here in Portland, uh, opening for uh, Lucero at a uh-huh. Portland chili cook-off. Uh-huh. And now and now I look at like where he's gone from there and it's like I mean don't get me wrong that that is one of the greatest shows I've and and concert experiences I've ever had. The chili was amazing, the bands were amazing, but awesome. it's just I was like look who's this new guy Sturgill, you know, at the time and just yeah. to see where he's gone from there. And I feel like people are do you feel like people are hungry for that kind of sound and like that kind of genuine? Yeah. Like Absolutely. almost That's as a backlash like the people are rebelling in some ways by listening to, to you guys. Absolutely, man. You throw something real out there and give it some real attention where it can actually get exposed to a, enough people that it could gain some momentum and gravity to it. I mean, it, you know, there's no way around the fact that we are still basically battling the corporate world uh, as, as indie music, you know? Uh, I mean, Look, man, I, I'm not, there's no love lost and I ain't, I ain't trying to land any of my material or my records on any kind of mainstream format whatsoever. It just, <laughs> it, it just so happens to be that, that, that what I am, I, and, and essentially I, I'm still doing the same thing I've done my whole life, but the, it just happens to be kind of in style right now, you know? Oh, is, you think is is that the case? Is it just that people are so tired of what's been shoved down their throat that they they're like, oh wait, here's some real stuff over here. Is that what it Dude, is? Dude, absolutely. I think if you if you throw something real out there, they will devour it. In here's my analogy on that one, Blake. Uh, you know how um, you, you know the the whole phenomenon with car- carbohydrate addiction and fast food, and and you you. People and I've experienced it, it, it a couple times in my life. Um, you eat these carbohydrates in the form of fast food, and you literally can't get enough of them. And you're hungry ten minutes after you eat because they don't have any damn nutrients in it. I right. think the same thing exists in the form of spiritual, emotional content and music. You know that that's why these singles. You know uh, uh, what the new pop singles and and pop, by pop I mean anything mainstream. Uh, they last, you know, what do they last, you know, six, eight, 10 weeks. And then there's a new one and there's just music is those, that kind of music is damn near disposable. Um, Mm -hmm. and so when people get, when people get hear a sound, that's an actual songwriter that's got their fingers on strings and, and they're beating out melodies and, and, and doing it that way. Uh, yes, I think there, I think there's a population of people who will devour that stuff if, if they can find it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a big one. And, and I, I find like people, people of my generation don't generate, don't typically have too difficult of a time finding what they want, you know, cause, uh, 
we kind of grew up alongside the internet, so we know how to sure. we know how to we know how to search for stuff. But sure. you know, I have to I kind of have to introduce it to my dad. You know, my sure. dad he can't listen. He loves music like this, and he cannot stand listening to the radio anymore. Right. And so I have right. to be like, well, here is this guy, and here is this guy, and uh, I almost feel like an odd responsibility. I'm like, he's like, country music isn't any good anymore, and I'm like, yeah, it is. You just have to know where to look type of thing yeah agreed. Um, agreed. i uh i wish it wasn't that way but then like you said I, it, it's kind of a revelation to me i guess it's always sort of been that it's, way just that's the thing right it's just there's always been this machine and and look man i'm not saying i'm not saying every single thing that the machine ever touches is horrible because no. there, there, there's clearly some there's i mean hey man i love a screaming summertime hit I, I mean, I love a damn hit. I love them. Um, uh, you know, that Brad Paisley, Alison Krauss song years ago was... Oh, was, man, that's such a good song. Um, uh, uh, you know, uh, the King Kings of Leon had a great summertime hit, Use Me, a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, who's, the, who's, the, uh, who's the R&B girl uh, that had that song, Work, Work, Work? recently is that um uh rihanna yeah hell yeah that was a fantastic hit I you're, you're right not it's not all bad and it's it's not i'm not saying not saying that yeah. at all you, no i'm um, not taking you that way I'm, I'm just jumping in with you yeah mm-hmm. i mean yeah. I, a good you know a good example though which i i find i find interesting of of somebody who see you know it seems really real and puts out stuff that i really enjoy that's also huge is chris stapleton and sure. I almost wonder sometimes, like, wait a minute, how, there's more guys like him. How come? How come? Like, how come the machine decided to that he, he that he was okay, or is he just did he just grind so hard for so long that he finally just rose to the top? Like, what's the deal there? Uh, yeah, no, it's 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 all of that stuff, man. I mean, it, it, you know, it's all of that stuff. I think, Blake, uh, as I see this stuff go, well, you know, Chris Stapleton, Stapleton's a little different than the whole rest of the crowd because he was, I mean, he was a, an established hit songwriter for years before he became a successful solo artist. That's true. Uh, That's very true. I, I mean, he, so he's, he's a little different than the rest of us in that way. Uh, and, and I, you know, I think that's probably reflected in the style of his songs too, you know, like on his records, he's writing songs that make me jealous as a dang songwriter. And I'm like, hell, I, I wish I wrote Fire Away, you know? Uh, yeah. In a, I guess here's what I'm saying. Within our own current crowd, I think there's a couple things. I think the degree of difficulty of writing truly original, authentic, real stuff that's not just copping on something or that's not just a theme and theme, you know, theme and variation take on something. It's really, really hard to do because essentially after I don't know what year, you know, basically 90s rock, after 90s rock, basically all the big hooks, everything, every word combination that you could put together as a humanoid, all the big, obvious, good hooks and phrases and colloquialisms, they kind of got used up through the 90s, you know, like it's all done and then said. So now... In order to do something truly original and be real and have it still be 
catchy and whatever you quote unquote cuttable by another artist. Mm-hmm. Say, say in the spirit of Alan Toussaint or um, or uh, oh, oh, uh, who, uh, who's the who's the silver-haired piano player that was such a beautiful songwriter that died last year. Um, you know who I'm talking about. Uh, oh, uh, Leon um, Russell. Leon Russell. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, so in, in in that kind of a spirit, where you got a songwriter that's literally like he might be writing some of his own songs, but in the back of his head, he's saying, "All right, for every five one of my songs of something that I got to say personal, I kind of got this other idea. I think somebody else ought to say this, you know." And they throw a song on their record that they had intended from the get go. Like, hell, I want somebody else to cut this song. That's an interesting take. I totally forget about that stuff because I'm not a very prolific songwriter by any stretch of the imagination, but I've done a little bit of it here and there. And I never, ever really thought about the kind of different mindset it would take to, to not write something for yourself. That's a, that's gotta be a whole, like almost a whole different skill set. Um, I don't, I I don't know. When I first came across the Americana thing, the way that happened, in 2010, when I landed back in Athens, Georgia, and I was in a halfway house, uh, and I was operating on the halfway house telephone and computer because I didn't have a cell phone. And, uh, and I ended up scrapping together 10 tracks from recorded in different studios in diff- various different stages of completion and, and non-completion. I threw together 10 mismatched tracks finished them in Atlanta with a hip hop producer. And um, basically you, most of the record was, you know, it's mandolin and resonators and acoustic guitars. It's bad news travels fast record is what it was. And uh, I sent out 130 of those CDs, Blake, and I got a few responses back and a couple of the responses back ended up being from the right people. And I was able to learn a little bit. So I got turned on to the Americana Music Association and the Americana radio world. And at that time in 2010, when I first learned of that, there were still people in that chart that were full-time Nashville songwriters, like Mike Deakle, for instance, like Byron Hill, for instance, um, like, like real deal, big time, Nashville songwriters with number one cuts and like Jim Lauderdale, he's a great example. Jim Lauderdale, King of Broken Hearts, he's been making Americana records for many years. I, I, I don't even know. I, I, I wouldn't even venture a guess. It's over 20, you know, 30, 20, he might be going on 30 years. And, and it's a specific thing of what Americana, quote unquote Americana was, is it's a songwriter record. So you got a songwriter and he's making a personal statement, but you betcha he's going to load the deck with a couple of lottery ticket type songs that he thinks would be, you know, hits for some big star to cut. That's fascinating. That is, that is just a whole different kind of uh, thought process than anything I've ever experienced myself. That is, that is it makes a lot of sense, though. I understand why they would do that, and I—it's just not ever a concept that that came into my brain, you know, type of thing. Willie Nelson totally made those records. I mean, he definitely is another one that did that, you know, for sure. 
Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just a, it's it's a different different kind of thought process, I suppose. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, no, for sure. I, I, somehow or another, that that ended up being the that ended up being the uh, model that I was like, ooh, I get it. There it is. I saw. I recognize mm-hmm. it. They're making a personal statement, but they're hedging their bet with a couple of really super high quality songs that they are trying to land in the pool of songs with John Hyatt, Leon Russell, um, Alan Toussaint, Bill Withers, um, you know, uh, Don Williams, Eddie Rabbit, uh, that are like part of the national, part of the classic American songbook. Yeah, that's for sure. For sure. Uh, It sounds like, I don't know how much you want to get into this, but, uh, and you can you can stop me if it sounds like you had quite a an interesting period before 2010 that uh, seems like yeah. it might have been somewhat formative for you in a way that maybe you didn't want it to be or expect it to be. Yeah, you want to talk about those years at all? Sure, sure. I, getting well, I've got some friends. Uh, I've heard this before. This wasn't my original idea, but the 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 line is uh, yes, yeah, sobriety is the greatest gift I never wanted. Um, uh, yeah, that's what ended up happening. Uh, so, um, yeah, man, drugs and alcohol, uh, completely, uh, completely overtook my life. Uh, and, um, and I had to get sober. Um, I just couldn't stay out of trouble and, 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 and my, my metabolism changed, man. I no longer metabolized alcohol like, you know, a, a normal person. So anyways, I went through the whole process and ended up getting sober. I've been sober since uh, 2009. Um, you know, yeah, I, I went through all that stuff, Blake. I, I've, I've, uh, I've, I've delivered room, room clearing, uh, career ending performances. I've, uh, uh, you know, I've been arrested more times than I can count. Hey, there was a couple of years there. I just couldn't stay out of jail. Um, yeah. Well, you've done a you've done a good job. I mean, that's a long time coming back from a really dark place. Do you have anything any advice for somebody who might be going through something similar or seeing somebody go through some, something similar of, sure. of what they can do for themselves or somebody else? Sure. Yeah, I'll share with you guys the experience before I went to California. I had in the back of my mind that somehow there was some kind of rock and roll level of lifestyle that if you get, if you know, that, that it, either it's the right record deal or, or the right amount of success or, or the right couple of hit songs and, and or movie placements or some kind of damn hustle that would basically facilitate a way to successfully live and consume the drugs and alcohol at the same time and be productive and, and creative and prolific. I got out to California and here's what I found, Blake. It, it blew my mind. So once I got out to Los Angeles, first of all, um, first of all, once I got out there, I started getting to know people. And then as I got to know successful you know, really high quality musicians and songwriters and players, as I got to started getting to know them, it turns out that 
a whole bunch of them um, end up getting sober uh, out of uh, you know a, a whole bunch of them. And now I'm seeing it. Now I'm seeing it occur real in real time in front of my in front of my you know in front of my eyes in in my own life is in our industry over a period of time the people that we all run with and 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 drink and stay out at the honky tonks and the nightclubs and 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 party with over a period of time basically people either outgrow that or they get sober you know um if the at least the ones that have real productive creative careers that's what i'm saying gotcha. like you know like the, the guys the guys who it, there are a few you know there and, and keith richards by god does exist you know the, I, <laughs> I, I, man i know a couple of those guys and they're and they they mystify me you know i'm like how they're kind of anomalies it? though right Ex that's exactly not, that's not how normal like that is some other sort of yeah like, physical literally a physical difference he has to be able to consume at that level and Absol also absolutely. play absolutely they're like the, he's like the he's like the carl lewis of, of rock and roll sex drives and rock and roll yeah <laughs> that's pretty accurate like it's just like yeah actually it's a really good way to put it it's like there was only like one mike tyson you know what I that's mean? That's right. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's only one Babe Ruth. Like that's kind of yes. what Keith Richards is. Yes, he's a key of, of yeah, agreed. So so anyways, what I found when I got out of California, Blake, was that all uh, or a really big pile, a really big pile of the really cool players, singers, songwriters and players that I wanted to be like like I mean, the, the numbers were staggering. Like most of the guys that I really wanted to be like were sober. And so the delusion, the delusion that, that rock and roll had to happen and it had to happen in an inebriated environment was basically, you know, that was that, that delusion was smashed when I got out there and I realized the reality of it. Like, oh, that ain't the way it's going down. Interesting. So for you, it was almost uh, like a pragmatic thing. It's like, if I want to be that, I cannot be this, basically. Yeah, abs ab absolutely. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, I, 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 I bought into the nonsense, too. I believed, I believed a bunch of the stories and... Um, and then when I like again, like I say, when I got out of California, I realized the stories. A lot of the stories are over dramatic, dramatized, and there's gossip and gossip and rumor and myth, and you know some of that stuff does go down. But 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 like you said, you know Keith Richards is an anomaly. You can't aim, you can't shoot for that and hit it. You know, <laughs> right? Got to have realistic expectations at some level, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean. Um, yeah, so, so yeah, there's no way around it. Like consistent, hard work and creativity and productivity can't be beat. Like that wins, you know, tur turtle wins the race, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, that's interesting that thank you for getting into that. I mean, that's a, that's, that can be tough for some people to talk about, especially considering that it's a tough thing to deal with. So thanks for kind of 
yeah, peeling back man, the curtain I, a little I, bit. Yeah, I appreciate you rapping about it. it, it no, it's 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 absolutely. Um, you know, I, I'm writing all this dark material and real stuff. Uh, at, you know, and I'm not doing it in an inebriated state. I mean, you know, I, I still stay up till three in the morning, four in the morning, five in the morning. I still see the sun come up every once in a while at the end of a songwriting, at the end of a, a, a marathon songwriting session, you know, that still mm -hmm. happens. I'm just simply, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not inebriated. And so I'm able to take notes and pick up the phone and answer the call. When the call, when the important call comes through, I'm basically there, you know? Very cool. Very cool. Well, this is supposedly a gear podcast or so I'm told. <laughs> I mean, I think, good. I think that's what it is. We but, haven't uh, talked about it at all. I know. This is, what, so this, is this, this is just the way this, this thing goes a lot, oftentimes. And uh, people love it. I'm a fan, man. I'm a total fan. Let's talk about let's talk about your setup. I know you sure. you were talking about it before we recorded, but let's get into it. What's your main What's your main go to rig look like from from guitar to amp? Sure. Everything in okay. Between? Sure. Let's we'll start with the guitars. Um, as a, well, okay. So the only guitar that I've had for a long time, like like I've I've had it since early early stages i don't know since late 90s i've had this old gibson flat top the whole time i don't play it on the stage anymore um basically because of the logistics of you have more control over electric guitars as per, you have more personal control over electric guitars on stage mm -hmm. if you if you play acoustic instruments you're basically at the mercy of the sound engineer and so I quit playing acoustic guitars live. Um, I did uh, one of the biggest breakthroughs I've had in the past uh, couple years, a few years, is Richie Owens um, is a uh, he he worked at Showbud and he um, he worked at Showbud and he's a uh, he's got a line of signature guitars with Washburn. And he and Richie and Washburn gave me the Richie Owens signature model uh, resonator that can be plugged in directly to your electric guitar line and no adjustments need to be made. You know, it, 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 because I was able to plug a resonator directly into my signal chain and not have to have a special rig. It responded just like a Les Paul or a Telecaster. That's really cool. I'm gonna I'm I'm pulling it up right now to take a look at it. I I did not realize that was that was how that was done. Is that what you you're it's playing a most total of the time? Cadillac. Oh, I play I play it about a third of the time. Okay. Uh, and, and so that's my that's sort of my acoustic guitar. That's my version of acoustic guitar for my live stuff. Uh, is that resonator? Oh wow, that thing and I use awesome. it with, uh, man. It's a Cadillac, Blake. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's really fantastic. And, the, the, and those those EMG pickups, they are um, those are electric guitar pickups. So you cannot put phosphor phosphor bronze strings on that resonator, or it will interfere right. with the with the magnetic response. Uh, you got to put steel strings. You know, you got to put wound steel. Very interesting. That thing looks great. I'm gonna have to check one of those out sometime. That's really cool. It, it's very cool. Yeah, it's it's very cool. I recommend it. Um, and then my electric guitar. Uh, 
as I, as, as I said, the, the only thing I've had for a long time is that, uh, is that old flat top Gibson. So I, I'm bad to trade electrics and I've had a couple of really cool electrics over the years and I've just always foolishly traded them away. Um, I, I do have an electric that I really, really like right now. I mean, I've had this guitar now. I'm going on four years with this guitar. It's, um, it's a Fender Thin Line body that I, uh, that I uh, knocked all the, I stripped all the urethane off mm -hmm. of. And, um, and then I got a uh, Warmoth neck. Um, and I, I assembled, so I assembled this whole guitar just from pieces. So it's a, a Fender Thin Line body with an F hole. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a, um, a hip shot bridge. Yeah, it's got uh, Spretzel tuners on it. A Spretzel tuners on the Warmoth neck, um, and it's like that Warmoth neck's like a baked. It's like a baked baked neck or something. Baked like maple that. or something. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, ba baked maple exactly. Um, and uh, and then um, Spretzel tuners and, and and this company called Lust for Tone mm -hmm. did a sort of a hand wound scooped mid range. Uh, humbucker for me, so it, it almost sounds like a darn Filtron. Oh, interesting. It's real scooped, very scooped, almost like it almost sounds like like if you set a wah in a, a little bit bit of a you pulled a wah back off of uh horizontal, mm -hmm. you know. Very interesting. It's almost like that. Yeah, it plays cool. So I'm basically I play, I do play some leads in our set, and and I do. Uh, you know, I do, I hold up my half of the, all the twin guitar lead work that we do in the band. And we're, we, we play a lot of twin guitar stuff now. Um, but I, uh, I'm, I basically hold that. I consider myself the rhythm guitar player of the band. Um, I consider myself a guitar wrangler. I, uh, JJ Kale, I, I'm not saying I'm as good or as cool as JJ Kale, but I think my method of operation is kind of similar to him. Okay. Um, you know, like, I would not necessarily be a good lead guitar player in every band, but there's a couple things that I can do that I might fit pretty good. Mm -hmm. you know? um, if, 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 if you're coming to me as a guitar player, I kind of got my thing that I have to offer. Sort of like J.J. Kale. You know, he, he's, he, you're going to get J.J., you're not going to get Ed Brown or 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 uh, Hank Garland at a at a JJ Kale. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, he's got his own his um, own thing that so he does. I, yeah. I, so I'm kind of that way. You know, I'm like kind of like a Merle. I like a Hag type of guitar wrangler, if you will. I feel you. Um. Um. But that all that being said, I'm still a damn total nut for you know for great tone and sound, and I'm a student of it. Uh, um, that that uh, um, that telly, uh, this Franken telly that I've got with the Spresso tuners, Warmoth neck, the hip shot bridge, and the uh, Lust for Tone uh, pickups, um, you know, it's just a workhorse, and and it does the right thing. It's it's a little tone bucket. I love it, a tone bucket. And, That's great. Yeah. Where does it go from there? So, what's your pedal board look like? Well, 
Sure, sure. So, so on my pedal board, I'm sitting here looking at it right now. I've got one of the exotic SP compressors mm-hmm. uh, early on. Then that goes, I jump directly into my Greer stuff. I got the special request as the second in line. The light speed is the third in line. Um, then I've got a couple mod. Uh, I've got a couple mod things. I, I use a uh, MX. I use the MXR Phase ninety five. Mm-hmm. Um, I use it set on the light setting as the light Phase forty five. And then I've got a. Um, I've got an MXR carbon copy for long delay. I've got a Greer black tiger for short delay and slapback and then i've got a super trim and i run as of right now i'm running a uh, rotovide uh the red rotovide pedal mm-hmm. nick greer is currently uh building and designing uh designing and building a pedal for me to replace that rotovide. oh nick my boy so, yes Super excited! Super excited about that. That is exciting. Um, so yeah, I have I have more I have more pedals than I probably should. But, oh know. well, duh. I mean, we don't want to get into that because then I'd have to admit right. that I might have a pedal addiction, and I don't want to admit that because right. I can quit any time whenever Completely. I want. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah! So good, yeah. Hell no, we're cursed. We're cursed. I'm so mad. I'm just sitting here looking to my right at the mess of nonsense that is over there. Hey, hey, man, can I make a suggestion? Sure. Um, I've got a friend who is a really super interesting cat. I mean, really cool to rap with, and he's a super cool guitar player. And he's got one of the smartest, coolest collections of guitars, pedals, and amps going on in Nashville that I know. Of. And and I, I I did a I did a I did a seven inch single with him. You you might even know who, you might even know him as a famous chef. He, he's the, he's the chef that took Anthony Bourdain to uh, Waffle House when he came to Nashville. Oh. Sean Brock. Oh yeah, I do know that guy. Well, I know yeah, of man. that guy. I don't know him personally. Man. Get a hold of him, Blake. I'm not kidding you, man. He is brilliant, and and he's the one that 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 uh, went uh, went off in that territory. We wrote two songs, and we pressed a seven inch single. Um, uh, you know, we we, we 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 turned out we have a mutual tattooist in common that tattooed us both uh, back in Athens, Georgia. Um, and uh, and we so we wrote a, a memorial song about our tattooist pal, and then we wrote the, the obligatory food song called "Soul Food Cooking." And it's just all it's just all a vehicle for us to play, you know, uh, harmony guitars, uh, you know, uh, rock and roll. We're, we're just totally geeked out on the guitar. Part. I love that, and, and and I think the songs, yeah, totally. So, anyways, I think you will. I, I I totally think you would dig. He plays the, one of the uh, the he plays. The most incredible guitar I've personally touched in the past 10 years is Sean Brock's, uh, um, Sean Brock's Novo guitar. Oh, the Novo. Which Novo. Yeah. Oh, my. Blake, it's unbelievable. The only other guitar that I've touched, that I've personally touched and felt that compared with this Novo guitar of Sean's is, um, is Dean DeLeo let me play 
his uh, the the red Strat that he's got. I think it's a '59 Strat that was Jimmy Page's. Wow, strat. that guitar it, that guitar feels like an it feels like an artifact. It, it it almost doesn't even feel like a real guitar. It's like it's got this sort of weird toy quality to it. Um, but then when you plug it in and you hear the sound that it makes, it's it's just mind blowing. That's insane. That's that's so crazy. I hope one day that to, Novo of oh, yeah. Sean's. Yeah. Oh well, yeah, Dennis Fano. Yeah, that, I'm just saying you can't yeah. go go wrong with it. Yeah, that. I'm just saying that I, those two guitars. There's something uncannily similar between that antique, the old '59 Strat. That I, I'm, I'm, what, that's what I'm saying. Is those those Nova guitars instantly feel like a like it's just it's got this other quality that no other guitars that I've ever touched have. Yeah, other than those old vintage ones, you know. That's amazing. It's amazing. Man, look Sean, look Sean up. I think you totally get a kick out of talking to him and he's really super generous and cool with his knowledge and and I think you would just love talking with him. I I think I would too. He sounds like my kind of guy. Plus yeah. he's a chef. Uh and as many listeners of this show know, if there's one thing that I like more than guitar gear, it's food. Well, let me let me go ahead and drop it. If we're going to go down that rabbit hole, I'm going to go ahead and start bragging. Okay. Well, before we do that, I mean, you, before we do that, yeah. uh, we gotta we yeah. gotta finish off with your amp. What kind of amps are you running? Oh, uh, so uh, okay. Well, my first my, my amp I've been running for the past five years and made these records with is um, is a is a Southern California. It's made in San Luis Obispo. It's called Krager C R A G A R Amplification. Um, Craig Bennett is a court reporter out in San Luis Obispo, and he builds these really beautiful, immaculate uh, vacuum tube, military-grade vacuum tube amps. This one that I play is basically a Princeton circuit. Okay. Um, with a, it's got a mid-boost. I've got two knobs. You know, I've got a tone knob and a level, and then I've got a, one toggle switch, which is uh, – pardon me, two toggle switches – which are basically little gain stage boost type switches. Um, and then I also, at the past few months, I've been playing a Tyler a bunch, and it's basically a Tweed Deluxe uh, uh, type of circuit. Um, and, it, you know, both of them, that's a combo. My, the little, the first amp that I was discussing, that's a little head and a 112 cap. Okay. That was going to be my next I, question. I've gone Nashville. It's, yeah. Yeah, I've gone Nashville as hell, Blake. I'm so damn Nashville with this with this low gain, with this low gain uh, pedal board and these you know 20 watt amps. Like it's just it's the smartest. It's just the smartest way, I think. Like it's really, you know, it's low volume. I grew up playing Mesa Boogie, uh, you know, 50 watt amps mm -hmm. uh, with four four twelves. That's how I, you know. At 16 years old, I had four twelves. Oh, nice. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, and now I'm playing these little 17 watt combos that I'm, you know, that, like that's where I'm at. I mean, I, I can relate to that. I, I, I play fairly low wattage stuff. A lot of my stuff, I primarily play Benson's, but you know, um, mm, cool. the biggest, the biggest one that I have is a 30 water, you know, uh, right. I got them from one watt to 15 to 30. And then, I mean, I've got, you know, I've got a PV Windsor that's like, you know, a 50 watt. I think it's a 50 watt. It might be a 100 watt. Is that the old PV tube amp? Is that the, is that the old P, is the Windsor the old it's tube? It's so like their, it's their version of a, like, uh, 
I think I, if I remember correctly, it's their version of like a JCM 800 mm. basically. Oh, yeah. wow. Oh, cool. It's, it's, it's cool. cheap. They're like, if you can find one, they're cheap. They're like $250, $300 and they sound awesome. Oh, wow. Yeah. They're, they're not awesome. super reliable, I but they sound great. Um, cool. But anyway, before we get, yeah, but we could go all over the place, but I feel like I, this oh, is a yeah. good point in which I asked a very classic tone mob question. And this is a, this is one that people sometimes have a hard time with and it can make or break a career to be perfectly honest. So, um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. So no, so no pressure, no pressure. No pressure. Yeah. What kind of pizza do you yeah. like? What kind of pizza do I like? Mm -hmm. I mean, man, I, I'm, I, I, I love pepperoni pizza. I'm, I'm, I'm a simple cat, man. I really, I'm, 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 I'm a simple cat. I mean, I, I like some complex stuff, but like after this, after we get off this call, I'm one or two things. I'm either going to Little Five Points Pizza and get a pepperoni slice, or I'm going to the taco truck to get a couple of tacos. All right, so you're going to go to Five Points. This, that's a good pizza. And if you're going to go to the tacos, I'm assuming you might be going to possibly uh, Moss Tacos there in Nashville, right? If I'm smart, that's what I would be doing. That's right. right. Oh, yeah. man. I, I yeah. do love Nashville, and I love the Nashville food scene it's very similar to the portland food scene so uh i man i'm totally looking forward to coming out and, and hanging in portland i haven't yet had a proper hang in portland well we you gotta fix that up we got we'd love to have you here for sure man thank you thank you i, I i'm gonna take you up on that but uh good old, just a good slice of pepperoni from five points that is hard to argue with i i really like five points down there i i've only been there once but i really enjoyed eating there when I was there. Yeah. 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 No, it's cool. It's cool for sure. Awesome. Um, I've totally enjoyed rapping with you. The, you know, the gear, the gear thing, I am passionate about that stuff. I mean, like Nick Greer and the level of detail and the care, like it's all part of my own, it, like from the, from making, from the making of these records, um, you know, which, Noah Shane and I, who've been working together since 2005, he, when I got the call in 2015 and he told me, hey, boo, I've acquired the tape machine from Kwanzaa Hut Studio in Nashville that recorded Dylan's Nashville Skyline. I've got it dialed in and it's awesome. Whoa. Come make a record with it. Wow. Yeah, that's, so that's how, that's how the Sea of Lights record went, went down. That, that was that record. And, and we, we recorded that record with that all-star band of dear close personal friends, Steve Ferroni on drums and Paul Ill on bass. We, Noah and I, as we were tracking that record, we were like, dude, have we, have we, uh, have we just assembled possibly the greatest, the baddest rhythm section on the planet? I mean, you know, Steve Ferroni and Paul Ill, my God. Um, so anyways, at, during that process, Noah, Noah said, hey, I love what we're doing on this Sea of Lights record, but there's there's something that I want you to do. He said, I want you to go back to East Nashville and and dig in with your band, uh, with your live band, and make the plan that you guys are doing so important that I can't come over the top as a producer and hire an all-star band that I got to use your guys because it's so important what you guys are doing. He said, go, 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 and then let's, let's do the next record um, after you have gotten that 
work done. So we went out and toured on Sea of Lights. We did the whole West Coast, came back across the country, did the whole Eastern Seaboard. You know, I don't know, played 100 dates or something like that in a, in a few months. And we landed back in Nashville, went straight in the studio and recorded this new album. Oh, man. That's really cool. And this new album is like what you're talking about in the beginning, all just live, cut, right to tape, doing it, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's incredible. That's it. Down and dirty. That's so awesome. I love I love hearing that. Do you guys, uh, here's a random question, and this is entirely kind of self-serving. Yeah. Do you guys uh, sure. have the drummer play to a click or no? Not on the not on Tennessee Alabama Fireworks. There's not one click on the whole record. That's cool. That's cool. I have a I, I have a weird relationship with with click tracks where I I do understand how they are helpful, uh, especially sure. in you know in in like post production and stuff. Obviously, sure. but I like it. They drive me insane. Like I can't play, I can't play to them. I, I, I've tried, yeah. and maybe it's a practice thing, but like I can play to a drummer, even if the even if the drummer's right. playing to a click, that's okay. I can play, I can play with that. But the clicks themselves totally. make me insane. No, I get you. Yeah, no, I've got an. I get you, and, and so as you know, I play with some. I play with some burning guitar players. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, like Saul Philcox, who uh, was the lead guitar player on uh, the Sea of Lights record. You guys know about Saul, Saul Philcox probably. He's he's the Brent Mason protege. Right. Um, they came to, came over from England uh, at 17 and went straight on tour with big mainstream country acts. Uh, so Saul, Saul made Sea of Lights with me, and he played second guitar on the new album too. He, had, he played a couple leads too. But, but he mostly was playing the second lead. And so what I have, um, what uh, playing with these cats like that for me has, I mean, first of all, it just, I, I got to play all the time and practice all the time just to play damn rhythm guitar in my own band. Um, it's, you know, the, it, it's, it's incredible uh, being in Nashville. Surviving coming to Nashville as a guitar player is a unique, uh, singular, unique experience. You know, it's a weird thing. It's interesting. I mean, it's it's got to be one of the more difficult things you could do. Like what? How? Like in a town where everyone plays guitar and the guy begging your groceries is probably better than you. Like standing out as a guitar player has got to be insanely difficult. You know, it's. I mean, here's what. I, if if you're a guitar player. And you come to Nashville, and it doesn't, it doesn't pretty quickly sort of hurt your feelings real, <laughs> real bad. You're not paying attention, you know. You're just not like get. You're just not picking up all the information. And so, but the deal is, is you have to survive that, and then dig in, and grow as a player. And then, you know, for for me, the thing is like going on and learning how to be yourself uh in in that environment okay and and so i i i have fully accepted that i'm the i'm the keith richards of my own band like i'm the screwball you know in my own band and and you know surrounded by a bunch of hot pickers um but but it's this it's a certain thing what noah said uh the the, the directive that he gave me he's like look man 
I want this band centered around your weird idiosyncratic guitar playing, you know, in the same way that J.J. Kale's bands are, are centered around his weird idiosyncratic guitar playing. So it's been, a, you know, it's been an incredible experience. I'm, I'm constantly outmatched in my own band, constantly, always. And, uh, but it's, uh, it's a, it's an, it's a conversation that we're having and it's not, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a conversation and, um, and an experience. So it's okay to be outmatched. You know, it's, I've, I've settled down into the, into the role of being the Keith Richards in the mix in my own band. (laughs) Yeah. It's a, it's almost about more like knowing who you are, getting as good as you can, but then just accepting and finding your place in, in kind of the musical landscape, basically. Totally. Totally. hundred percent. Well, we're getting down to the, the last few here. And uh, I, I want to ask you a question uh, or give you a chance really to, you know, to kind of say something. If you could, you know, put a billboard up on the side of the road and have thousands of people read it, what, you know, if you just had a little thing you wanted to tell everybody right now, what would that be? Right. Um, the world is difficult right now. Um, you're not crazy. Uh, be patient. Be kind. Um, I, I would have a billboard that said like that. Or, or maybe, you know, and who knows what kind of message is most effective. But maybe that's of, uh, of the variety that is. If we were to try a different style, maybe the billboard would say, hey, we're, we're riding on a dust ball flying through space, bound for oblivion. It's all good. You know, like, <laughs> we're cool, you know. Yeah, either, I think either of those will work. Yeah. That's true. You can, yeah. <laughs> Hell, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Do um, any of us know? No, nobody really knows. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. This has been a this has been a really enjoyable chat. I feel like my prediction in the beginning came true. This was this is really good. Thank, so thank you very much for that. Man, thank you, Blake. I've totally enjoyed hanging and rapping with this you. This is great. This is great stuff. But uh, I think I'll go ahead and wrap this thing up. So for Boo, this is Blake, and as always, folks, good luck and good tones. Thank you so much for tuning in to that, everybody. This one was a bit of a bear to get out. My computer was crashing all over the place during the editing process, which uh, is always super annoying, but, you know, we soldiered through, we got it done. So, we're in the final stretch. And if you need some more of that conversation, you can go to patreon.com slash tonemob. For just five bucks a month, you get extra episodes every week. And, you know, I mean, if you listen this far, something tells me you got something out of it. If not, I don't know why that you would do that to yourself. Why would you do that to yourself? That's awful. But yeah, you can go there and subscribe at some uh, different levels. It helps support the show. And also, you get extra content every week. Yes, every week. I almost said every month. It's a lot more often than that. Every week, there are extra episodes. So make sure you check that out and make sure you check out Boo Ray stuff at booraymusic.com or on all the Spotify streaming whatevers. You can find it all over the place. It's all over there. And make sure you hit up our sponsors because they make this whole thing possible. We've got some good longtime sponsors that have been with us for for 
years at this point, and they've they really they really help keep the lights on, so to speak, or the speakers on, or microphones. Microphones that makes more sense. All right, and uh, you know if you need to get a hold of me, info at tonemob.com or the contact form on the website. Message me on any of the socials. Hit me up. I'm available, and you can join the Facebook group if you haven't done that. We're in there. We're still nerding out on all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, I guess that's all. And until next week, or next time, I think I might have one sooner than that. If everything aligns, we'll have one sooner than that. So, um, anyway, thank you very much, and I'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. One last thing before we totally sign off here, I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is tonemob.com slash stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstreet as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out.